0: or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty, Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC.
1: Hello there, Hawkeye fans, and welcome to the Rapid Reaction podcast here on Hawk Fanatic. I am Rob Howe. It is Sunday, October 1st, believe it or not, a little after. Oh, it's about eleven eighteen a.m. Central Time, noon, if you're on the East Coast. Earlier than that, if you're west of me. Um, you know what time it is wherever you are, but uh, it's time for us to talk about the Hawkeyes 26 to 16 victors against Michigan State last night at Kinnick Stadium. Great, great atmosphere. And I think uh, the Spartans felt the wrath of some of the noise in Kinnick Stadium. They had five pre-snap penalties of their 10. Um, I am joined as always by Jordan Canzeri and Joe Von Johnson, former Hawkeyes, and i like to give them a chance for their opening monologues to kind of give us a synopsis or a capsule of what they saw last night. Uh, I think I started with Joe von last week. We'll start with Jordan this week. What do you think, Jay
2: uh I mean, gotta love what Kinnick brings uh for a night game uh as the energy has said, definitely influenced in a lot of ways um I'll just say uh. Thank the Lord for, you know, just our main man, Cooper DeGene. (laughs) (laughs) Just uh, interception, punt return, you, you, you can't ask for more for a top playmaker.
0: Hi, I'm Jim Street, owner of Streets Maintenance. As a licensed, insured, and bonded master plumber, I specialize in all plumbing repairs, including but not limited to water heater and sump pumps to toilet and faucet repairs and replacements. For more information about my business, I'm online at streetsmaintenance.com and Facebook, or give me a call at 400-4483, 400-4483. Hi, this is A.J. Perez, managing partner at Deary Chrysler Dodge G. of Waukee and Iowa City. I'm so proud of our team at both locations. We are committed to one thing, giving our customers the absolute best when it comes to service and a car buying experience, the kind of experience that brings you back. What makes us different? We believe at Deary, we don't just sell cars. We help people buy them.
1: Javon, you're up.
3: I mean, i tell you what, I, I thought the defense looked like the defense that we're used to seeing and not what we saw against Penn State. Um, but at the end of the day, part in fact that the offense was able to at least sustain some drives, get a couple first downs, keep the ball in their possession. Um, and then Tory Taylor just continues to impress. But, yeah, and, and Coop we trust. That, that's my that's my model going forward. I'll, I'll say that every week in Coop We Trust because that kid is a player. Um, you know, and I think they made reference that he had the longest punt return for a touchdown um, of 70 yards in the past decade. So I wonder who the last person was to return a punt over, over 70 yards. I think that might have been Joe Von Johnson.
1: <laughs> no, I don't kidding, remember. But,
3: um, but no, he he's a he's a heck of a player, man. Turn the ball over, you know, with a big interception and then the walk off punt return for a touchdown is amazing. So, you know, I'm I'm proud of those guys and, and thankful for the Kinnick faithful, you know, the Hawkeye faithful fans for, you know, being there in attendance and doing all that they do to help the Hawks win. So um, just looked like a traditional Iowa football game to me. It was it was amazing to watch.
1: Well put. You win, however you win. It doesn't matter what it takes to get the win. You just, you guys know as coaches, whatever it takes to win, you win uh, within the rules. That is. But uh, I, I will uh, tip of the cap to the Iowa fans who their biggest cheers on game day are when Tory Taylor comes out to punt, and when Cooper DeGene comes out to return a punt. Those are usually the biggest crowd the biggest applause that we hear in Kinnick stadium currently these days. So, um, let's start with the good, and obviously you guys mentioned Cooper DeJean, who was the star of the game with a key interception. I think that got lost with the punt return, which was awesome and in a crucial spot, but that, that interception was huge. He read that double move backed up. The ball was overthrown. It was a perfect play. He's just an amazing athlete. Um, Torrey Taylor, uh, He's averaging 48 yards a punt this year. He's got, um, well, I wrote these down 30 punts. He's third, punted 30 times. 10 of those have been inside the 20, 13 have been 50 plus. Uh, and let's not sleep on Drew Stevens either last night with four field goals. Uh, he's now three for three in his career from 50 plus yards, uh, eight of nine on field goals this season. Uh, you look at that. The three main guys last night, guys, a punter, a punt returner, and a kicker. And that's what we talk about with Iowa football. It's all three phases, right, Jovan? Jovan's locked up. Now he's back.
3: Yeah, no, it's definitely all three phases. You know, one one thing about the special teams units, you know, when you have great kickers and great returners, is they have the ability to, to control the hidden yardage. And people don't really talk about the hidden yardage that often. But the hidden yardage is when your ability to flip the field through punt, your ability to change field position through punt return, and then your ability to put the ball through the uprights on field goal. So they've been doing a hell of a job. So I I, I do commend the special teams units because they're doing amazing stuff.
1: Last night, Jordan, uh, Tory Taylor, seven punts, averaged 48.9 with a long of 60, one of those inside the 20-yard line. Uh, and it was obvious early in that game, Jordan, that field position was going to be big. Both teams were playing for field position. So, obviously, that plays into Iowa's hands.
2: Yeah, I mean, there was some even for us on the other side, angle when we had good field position we didn't take great advantage of but yeah Torrey Taylor definitely just continues to help set us up in the right positions and then you know still just going to defense again for three three interceptions obviously helps with uh, the offense even as not executing as much as we'd like just as Jovan mentioned in certain positions got it done with just Letting the clock run and getting some first downs that were needed. But yeah, special teams was just huge. You already said it, but that was my next point, which is to just talk about Drew. I mean, again, making all four field goals along a 53 that made obviously a huge difference in the game.
1: And he did the, be- he bit- did the sleep. Uh, did you see that Jovan where he did the put them to sleep after he kicked the last field goal? That was kind of nuts, nice.
3: yeah. That's nuts. I mean, sometimes you got to be <laughs> humble about yourself, though. I mean, you know, but at the end of the day, I mean, you don't usually see that from a field goal kicker, but I mean, hey, if you got that kind of swag, I'll take it.
1: You had a little swag in
3: your day, man, yeah. But I didn't, I didn't talk to the other team, not, not not that often.
1: Yeah. I don't know why. It seems yeah. like you, you. If you remember, guys, that was uh, uh, Keith Duncan at Nebraska did that as well. It's, I think it's the attitude of the Iowa kicker room.
2: Jordan yeah, Keith Duncan had Keith Duncan had a little chip, <laughs> and um, and then he he didn't do it. He didn't do what Keith did or what Drew Stevens did. But um, uh, my my main man Marshall Kane was also a dog, and it was it was. Just we got we got some kickers that got a little grit to them.
1: And shout out to the Michigan State kicker who sent the set the Kinnick Stadium record last night for 58 yards before halftime. That broke, I think, Marshall Kane's record against Pitt.
2: Yep, he was at 57. Go
1: but ahead. records are meant to be broken, right? Somebody from Iowa's got to come back and hit a 60-plus yarder and get that record back. Oh, yeah. Um, all right. I'm going to go back to Jordan here on this. Um, Obviously one of the big stories last night outside of Iowa winning the football game is what happened to, Cade McNamara, a couple levels on this question, guys. Number one, when that happens so early in a game, when you lose a guy like that, and I don't know what, you know, experiences you guys have with that in terms of the quarterback or significant injuries. I'm sure you've gone through that. What's that like for a team to kind of handle that, especially when you see your man go out on off on a cart, come back with crutches? How do you kind of process that and make, you know, you've got a game to play?
2: It's it's really just playing through because it's it's something that it as like an emotional or physical feeling, you can't really just like tell yourself not to think about it. So, you know, you see one of your boys that you've obviously grown close with and been battling with go down and have to be taken off with a stretcher and carted and off. It's it's gonna it's gonna upset you. It's gonna, you know, bring the emotion down it's gonna kind of like put like that eerie stillness but you just got to play through it you just it's not like afterwards it's the rah, rah rah let's you know do it for them sort of thing it's just knowing that we gotta still finish the game knowing that no matter who goes down somebody has to step up next man in um it's it's definitely not a fun thing to go through but you just got to get the job done
1: Same for you, Jovan, just kind of your experiences with that and how you kind of keep yourself grounded to the point where you can finish and play the game.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think one thing about that is the coaches do a heck of a job of preaching the next man up mentality and just preparing the guys that don't really get as many reps throughout the weeks of practice and and training camp and, you know, all these different things that you got to go through. So, you know, at that point, you know, the leaders on the team have to step up and say, hey, guys, you know, next man in, you know, we got your back. Let them know that you believe in them. And uh, and then you play for each other from that point forward. And, you know, they you figure it out. I mean, I, obviously, the young kid at quarterback hadn't had as many reps as McNamara. But at the end of the day, you know, he went out there, he did what was asked of him to do. And you know they figured out a way to win, and that that that's how good teams become great because they figure out how to win when when adversity hits.
1: Yeah, Deacon Hill came in. I guess if you think about a, a, if there was any positive of Cade being out during training camp and not being able to practice full weeks early in the season, it was that Deacon Hill got those one reps during that time, and that prepared him better for last night than than before now jovan most likely he moves into qb1 uh we haven't had an update on Cade. it didn't look good you get carted off that's not a good sign got to figure he's at least out next week if not longer than that well how do things change now you're changing your your you know your on-field leader is changed to a guy who really doesn't have a lot of experience
3: i mean you're you're kind of at wit's end right now with a lot of different guys i mean you got K. McNamara out, you're starting quarterback. You got Caleb Johnson out, you're starting tailback. You got Luke Lachey out, you're starting tight end. I mean, you're you're just kind of figuring out how to plug and play guys and get guys experience to prepare them to step in and be the guy. And right now, even the second, uh, second string running backs out, you got a lot of different guys out. Um, but that gives other guys the opportunity to show that they belong and step into a role that is unfamiliar territory And, you know, greatness occurs outside of your comfort zone. So those guys, you know, are going to be outside of their comfort zone and they're going to have to show up and and show what they can do. But, I mean, I think Deacon Hill is talented. He has a strong arm. Uh, He's a big kid. So, you know, you you just got to put him in position to make plays. And I think right now it's going to be can the offensive coordinator dial up plays to make him look like the quarterback that deserves to be out there as a QB1.
1: Jordan, that leads me into the question I have for you on this: is how much do you feel like? And I'm asking you to kind of speculate here because you're not in the building. But how much do you, of a feel do you think the coaches have for what Deacon can do? And how much do you have to work through that this week in practice when you're building that game plan for Purdue next week?
2: I mean, again, for how much he has had to give first reps from the you know large amount of time. Cade has been down with the quad. And then even this last night's game, you have to. I mean, you look at coaches in the NFL, you know, Shanahan who has had multiple QBs come into his system and can just make it work. You have to now simplify things, create concepts that can just let him get the ball out quick. Um, simple concepts, um, we, we have to just continue to try to run the ball and be effective on it, even though we weren't last night. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's tough, but it's another scenario where we have to just go back to the drawing board and figure something out because, you know, we, we lost on all fronts. If it wasn't for the defensive turnovers and the special teams and the situations and putting us in good field position, you know, we were, you know, I'm just looking at the totals. They had a three forty-nine. We were only 222 total. Passing yards, we were lower. They had 156 rush yards. We had 61. You know, it's third down efficiency. We we're two for 13. Like we 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 just have to now especially with kate out we we have to just simplify and go back to the drawing board and figure out what works best for deacon and who's out there because um you know to finish the rest of the season we we can't play offense like we did last night
1: i think you're reading my notes here jordan um The last two weeks, Iowa's running game, 17 carries for 20 yards at Penn State, and we know the game script was different there because Iowa got behind. Um, Penn State ran 57 times for 215. Uh, Last night against Michigan State, Iowa rushed 27 times for 61 yards. Michigan State ran 32 times for 156. Run the ball, stop the run. That's not the formula you want, especially – we saw that the special teams and defense again had to pull it out last night. Um, the run game this year fellas, Jordan, um, 104 out of 130 FBS teams at 118.5 yards game, three, uh, 3.8 per carry. And to your point, third down efficiency, Iowa rakes 123rd out of 130 FBS teams, uh, is third down conversion rate 30%. Jordan. That's a lot on offense, man. So, you know, you got a lot to fix here. You talked about it, simplifying it. What can you fix at this point? And what, what, what's the approach here with this offense to make sure? It's, is it don't make mistakes and let the defense and special teams keep winning? Um, what, do, what do you got to do here?
2: Yeah, I mean, definitely limiting mistakes helps. Uh, We did have the fewer amount of penalties, which definitely makes a difference uh, versus Michigan State last night. But um, it's kind of like what we said last week, where maybe just creating more um, formations and motions to create one-on-one matchups for the shiftier, um, smaller guys you know, Eric all definitely with that monster run, he had made a big leap forward where he now has to just be fed the rock. Um, but we, yeah, we just, something has to be done because it's the one thing I guess you could say is there's only, I kind of am afraid to say this up from here, um, where kind of where you can go in a way, but it's just, we're not doing good. So something has to be just completely scrapped and changed. Um, especially now with, you know, I obviously hope the best for him, but, um, you know, yeah, the angle he ran, the cut he tried to make and then having to be carted off, you know, they got to be prepared that this might be Deacon's team the rest of the season. Like you really don't know. So, um obviously hopefully it's not the case but they they gotta they they just gotta try
1: Jovan um I I was encouraged last night man first two completions to wide receivers I was like yes here we go and then it kind of went away again now again quarterback change that certainly affects things but until Iowa shows some teams that can beat them down the field I mean, it's just we talked about the running game. The teams are just loading up. They're they're chatt- They're daring Iowa to beat them over the top.
3: Yeah, I mean, you got to have guys that can separate. And uh, I just kind of my viewpoint on watching like the way the offense was structured last night. They they got into a lot of empty formations, um, which is very unusual for Iowa. Um, but you know, when you do go into empty, you kind of force teams to to play man-to-man coverage um, when they do want to play zone versus empty, it gives you easy throws, pitch and catch. Um, but they were playing a little bit more man-to-man and you were able to to get some guys, but they, they threw a lot more quick screens versus what I would consider quick game like slants and hitches and things like that. Um, I think they're on the right track. They just got to utilize it more of figuring out ways to get their receivers in one-on-one matchups, like Jordan alluded to. The motions and shifts and things like that are going to cause teams to have to adjust and, and think on the fly. And then you you present, you know, one-on-one matchups to different guys. Uh, they came out firing, throwing the ball to the receivers. So I thought, you know, okay, they're on to something. And then it just kind of dwindled down uh, and became more of a screen game. So you, you want to see them kind of evolve on that. Um, but third down efficiency, how you get better at third down efficiency is to win on first down. And you can't take negative plays on first down. You can't get stopped zero yard gains on run plays on first down. You got to get positive yards on first down. So you're moving in the right direction to make it third and manageable. You don't, you don't want to live in a world of third and long because then those numbers drop off dramatically.
1: I think the last graphic I saw Joe von there were six drop passes. there may have been more mm-hmm. after that. that was tough last night when you're struggling that much off on offense and passes are dropped. What type of impact does that have on a on an offensive unit?
3: It makes an impact because it 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 messes with the mental morale of the team because you know you're you're expecting guys to go out and make routine plays and and catching ball and throwing balls are our routine. You know, you do that stuff every day. So you got to be able to complete uh, complete the catch and, and make things happen. But, you know, when you have six drop balls in the game, that does start to affect guys, you know, mentally. And you, you have to figure out a way to get over that slump. Because right now, if you're going to keep dropping balls, I, I, I dare to say the quarterback's probably going to stop coming to you.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And that's something that has to be cleaned up. As well, this week, Jordan. Um, what I mean is that contagious. Sometimes the drops where one guy, you know, it just it seemed like last night it was almost like a snowball.
2: I mean, normally no, but yeah, when when it's just multiple, I guess it can just kind of as a whole unit, it can just be uh, down of like energy and just like if especially if people are walking around with their heads down from it but i would say individually you know it wouldn't affect me if i saw somebody drop a pass but it's again it's we can't have those happen have to execute because you know wisconsin is a top 50 defense ruckers defense has Stepped up massively. Nebraska's defenses—you know—they always play well. So, it's it's something that we have to try to make sure that you know receivers are catching twice as many they should be before and after practice, hitting the jugs, whatever it is. Uh, but yeah, you can't you can't have those drops because it's it's uh, even as an offensive coordinator, it's hard to call certain things if the play successful, but it's just a drop pass or different things like that. So it's just a lot of things need to be cleaned up. But um, that's just football. All
1: right, so that leads me to another part of the storyline from last night, which is. Um, it's obvious that the fans are not happy with the offensive coordinator. You can hear it clearly at the stadium. I know people told me they could hear it clearly on TV. Fire Brian Ferentz. Jordan, it's, it's there now. It's the elephant in the room. They can't do anything about it in the building. How do you keep that from creeping in? Because you could say in your mind, we're just going to show – do you make it and us versus – The world, what do you do in this situation where there's that negativity out there surrounding the head coach's son?
2: Uh, I'm asking
1: from a locker room standpoint, what can you guys do in a locker room to make sure that doesn't infect the team?
2: Well, as leaders, you just have to go around and say like, yo, I know you're seeing this. I know you're hearing it. And even if you might be feeling it, The last thing you can do is let that sit and let that mentality, you know, kind of grow where it doesn't matter because this is where you are, this is who your offensive coordinator is. You just have to buy in and go all out when you're on the field because if you don't. It's just uh, it just breeds more failure, more um errors and all these things if you know half of the guys are convincing themselves or saying to themselves what the outside people are too, you know it's it's just the path of two choices, you know, this is what you have in front of you, this is who you've got, so it's either you make the best of it and focus on believing nothing but success or you dwell on it and, you know, play victim and say, yeah, this sucks, this shouldn't be, th-. and then your game on the field suffers as a player. So, you know, they, the, the leaders just have to step up, um, and they can't ignore it. They got to actually point it out, because even bigger than when I was playing there, and Joe Jovan can even attest, it's like when he was, it social media and the news and how things are out there and seen are, is way heavier than it was. So they can't just pretend like it's not all over, you know, in the fan, in the stands on, and all that. So they gotta, I, like I said, as, as captains or leaders, I would confront it and like talk about it. Even if it's like a player meeting, I I don't know what it is, but um they got to address the elephant in the room on that to keep the energy and uh, the spirits up.
1: Jovan, same question for you. And I know some te- people forget it. They think you guys just show up on Saturdays and play the game in Kinnick stadium. You guys are in the community. You guys go to class. Yeah, I mean, it's out there now, like Jordan said, it's on social media. So you get it when you're walking around campus, you hear this stuff. What do you do in that locker room to make sure that it doesn't become a cancer?
3: Yeah, I I know for a fact in my generation, if we had gone through anything of this magnitude of of fire a coach or whatever the case may be, we would have had a mandatory team meeting. Um, All of our captains and and leaders would have would have addressed the elephant in the room and they would have figured out a way to keep everybody playing together. And focus on our ultimate goal, which was to win. Because at the end of the day, no matter who's calling plays, no matter who's doing what, all it comes down to is executing our X's and O's and going out and playing for each other. And that's the most important thing you can do. And I, I honestly, you know, I, I don't think Brian deserves to take as much heat as he's taken. He's just he's just an offensive coordinator trying to figure out, you know, what's the best angle and and best plays to call, you know, who's the best players to put on the field. At the end of the day, the players have to execute. The players have to catch the ball. The quarterback's got to throw. The lineman got to block. A lot of things have to happen in order for you to have success as an offensive coordinator. So part of the onus falls on him, but also it, it does fall on the players to go out and execute and do things. Like you said, like we just talked about, they had six drop passes in the game. Right, that that's not a a fault of the offensive coordinator. That's guys not being focused and locked in and not executing and, and making the plays when they come your way. So th- those are just things that a lot of people is going to point the finger at Brian. And yes, he can be better, and yes, the offense can be better, and they could be more creative and things like that. But at the end of the day, you know, it's it's all about everybody included to uh to be able to get it done. But you have to address the elephant in the room, like Jordan said. You you got to have Teammates and guys come together and say, look, this is out there. This is on social media. People are talking about it when we're at class. You know, we're hearing this stuff all over, left and right. You know, how are we going to bounce back and and focus on what our ultimate goal is? And and that, that's, that has to come down from a guy who's in the leadership position on the team.
1: How much Jovan influence does Kirk have? And I'm not trying to get you in trouble with your former head coach. But this is his offensive philosophy, right? This, this, this offense looks a lot like it did with Ken O'Keefe 25 years ago. Not the same, not exactly the same, but the foundation of it is similar. Jordan played for, for Greg Davis, very similar foundation philosophy on offense. Now similar with Brian. This is really Kirk too, isn't it? it it's his offense or at least his foundational offense, that he's asking his coordinators to, to to run. They only have a certain amount of leeway,
3: correct? I mean, I'm I'm not really 100% sure in that regard on, like, how the offense is structured. I know it does look eerie, eerie similar to, you know, the Ken O'Keefe offense and, and the, the things that they've ran in the past. But, you know, that has been a system that has worked for yeah. – you know, over the last twenty plus years, so I mean, they're they're not gonna change and go outside of of what they're used to doing when it worked. When it has worked, if it hasn't worked, then I'm sure they probably would have brought somebody else in to you know address you know the offensive concerns. But it's been working, so you know you don't if something's not broke, you don't need to fix it. Um, so right now, I think the elephant in the room is the offense is is having some difficulties. Who's behind the offense is, I mean, that that's anybody's, you know, somebody else can make that determination. But uh, didn't they hire a guy to be the uh, offensive consultant? What happened to that guy?
1: John Budmeier, he's there. He was the former offense coordinator at Wisconsin. Um, quarterbacks coach then went to Colorado State and is now here and was brought in when Ken O'Keefe was let go as the quarterback coach. Uh, John Bud- Budmeyer is brought in. Jordan, I, I know you you're not you don't sit in with the offensive coaches during a meeting, but you kind of have an idea how an offensive game plan comes together. How much is the coordinator? How much input does the running backs coach, the receiver tight end, head coach? but you and you guys are around this. I mean, how much is this just the overall? you know, you guys had talked about it last week, kind of the, maybe some wrinkles, some, some adjustments, stacking receivers, things like that. How much of this is a staff thing and not just the offensive coordinator?
2: Um, I mean, I would say that I did get a good chance to kind of see it all. So, because my freshman year was Ken O'Keefe as the offensive coordinator. He's the one who recruited me. And then <laughs> sophomore year was when I believe Davis came in. Um, So Davis's offensive scheme versus O'Keefe's offensive scheme was drastically different. Like I just remembered right off the rip, it was like learning a whole different offense, except for a few little things in the run game and stuff. But like, it it was something and then I do even remember but it's again personnel wise when I left and I'm now watching Brian Ferentz as like taking on as the offensive coordinator when he first started off with having like Akron Wadley in the back backfield there was some stuff they were doing that I was like yo where was this when I was there like I was trying to do some of that stuff but it's just like little things like that. But so I would say there's definitely things that come with whoever is now the offensive coordinator. If It's a brand new hire. But the reason I would say that there's definitely a little bit more of you seeing the relevance, I guess, or the similar, not the, the more of the similarities between is Brian Ferentz has been there since the whole time. He was just the O-line coach then assisted offensive coordinator with run game and then he became the offensive coordinator so so he was involved in ways and now that he's been the offensive coordinator that he's obviously had a few of his own twists and and things that he's put in but uh, you know obviously for the past few good chunk of years you can see why things kind of look a little similar Um, But, yeah, I mean, there should be input on all forms from all players. I mean, sorry, not players, um, coaches offensively. But in the end, it is coach, you know, Kirk Ferentz saying if he agrees or not or, like, gives a thumbs up, I guess.
1: Yeah, and it's, as Jovan said, it works. We've seen it work. It just hasn't worked recently, and that's what they have to figure out Jovan, defensively, um, definitely this defense is still a work in progress, especially compared to last year. You lose, We've been down the road. You lose Jack Campbell and Lucas Van Ness and Riley Moss, and you go down the list. I mean, they lost a lot. So it's. But do you see the defense improving? Is it coming together? Um, Michigan State did some things last night, but it seemed like Iowa was able to adjust.
3: Yeah, 100 their, percent. Their defense and, and and a lot like the offense, the defense is is eerily similar to what it was when I was there, which over the past 25 years have had constant success. So if it's not broke, don't fix it. So, yeah, they're, defensively, they're going to do what they're going to do and they're going to run it exactly the way it's supposed to be done. They're not going to give you the big play. They're going to be very good in tackling. They're going to create turnovers. And they're going to do that over and over and over again. And that's what makes their defense so good is that they don't do a lot. They just do what they're good at and they and they get really good at what they do. And I think part of it is that you might see some wrinkles here and there. But when you have the same guys, like, like Jordan said, Brian Ferris has been there. He's been the offensive line coach. He's been the assistant offensive coordinator. He's been the run game coordinator. Now he's the offensive coordinator. So the the offense looks like it was because that's what he knows, just like the defense. I mean, Seth might be the signal caller and Parker is the defensive coordinator. But if Seth Wallace was to leave and go get a defensive coordinator position somewhere else, he would be running the offense or the defense that Phil Parker runs because it works. So, you know, when you have those things happening and I think offensively, you're just, you, you just don't, you don't have the guys um, on the receiver end to go out there and and win one-on-ones. I mean, you got some talented players, but you got you, we had guys. Um, Defensively, they have some guys, even though they're starting to, transition and they have a lot of guys that you know are playing new roles, but they have some guys. And that's why the defense has continued to grow and get better every week is because they do have dudes. They just got to get more repetitions because they lost a lot of guys uh last year.
1: And um last night Michigan State scored off of a fumble from Iowa, not the Iowa defense. And Iowa's defense did not have a sack last night but four tackles for loss, some of them in very key moments, three interceptions, the fumble recovery, three pass breakups, and four quarterback hurries. Jordan, seemed like the defense was a little bit more disruptive last night.
2: I mean, yeah, they they did a great job as as usual in a lot of ways and created turnovers, and my man Higgins is all over the field. Just another day of – another night of 12 – Tackles, what it was four solo, eight assists. I think um, it's again just well coached team and making the stops when needed. And as you said, having one touchdown be from a strip um, and a fumble return—it's—it's it's, that's nothing you can kind of do. So um, yeah, just another day of athletes showing up and we got guys that are just continuing to grow each week and they're only going to get better.
1: Got a uh, ad read here folks. Want to know let you know that support for the podcast comes from Systems Unlimited celebrating 50 years of providing services to people living with disabilities and mental health needs throughout East Central Iowa. A list of their services and upcoming events can be found at sui.org. One more here and I'll let you guys go. Um Jordan it's. um It looks like it's going to be one of those seasons that may not be pretty, but you just kind of have to find a way to win. You have to grind it out. You have to develop. Iowa's been here before. This is what it does. It kind of it fights through the adversity and then hopefully kind of hits its stride when November comes around. Is that kind of your – observation of this team where it's going to take some dogs and, and be the ability to grind this out.
2: Yeah. I mean, the defense is just going to continue to have to make plays and step up because obviously like we've talked about with the situation of Deacon Hill now having to step up and be the guy it's, it's different. It's going to be different. So we got to just make sure. And you kind of touched on it earlier that we don't, throw interceptions. We don't have, you know, fumble returns for touchdowns. And, you know, just
0: <laughs> um,
2: thank you. Um, don't put the defense in bad situations. Uh, so that's just all we have to make sure we can do. It's definitely going to be a grind, definitely going to be a battle. Um, it's not like we're going to be going in there expecting to put 50 plus up on teams. So Again, we just have to limit error so that the defense can do what they do and the special teams can do what they have been doing, and and that's how we'll get wins going forward.
1: You on that same page, Jovan, just kind of let the offense not hurt you and maybe just, especially with Deacon Hill being his first week, just kind of let them, give them stuff that they can manage and then lean on the defense and special teams?
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, and in, in just watching post-game interview um, of of Coach Ferentz saying, you know, that they believe in their defense and they kicked the field goal fourth and one or fourth and inches. Uh, they kicked, they took the field goal because they believed in the defense to get them the ball back and them to be able to. And then obviously Cooper DeJean did an amazing job of returning the punt for a touchdown. But when you have that kind of faith in your defense. All you have to do offensively is just move the ball, continue to move the ball, get in position, and flip the field. You got one of the best punters in the country. Um, flip the field. Let the defense go out there, get stops, get the field back in your possession, and then you know maybe kick field goals if you get the opportunity to get the ball in the end zone. Just keep moving the ball towards your own goal line and let the defense go out there and continue to get stops. I mean – you got some of the best special teams units in in all of the NCAA and defense in, as well. So you got two of the best three phases of football on your side. So you got to utilize them to the best of your ability and let the offense continue to grow under Deacon Hill, continue to evolve and just give them opportunities to make plays and, and be on the field. The more they're on the field, the more likely they're going to start to have success.
1: Well said, and if you look at last night, Iowa had 10 points off of turnovers and a punt return for a touchdown. That's 17 points, and that was one point better than what Michigan State put on the scoreboard. So that tells you right there, there's a formula that Iowa has, and it's going to have to continue to have here. We'll probably get some word here in the next few days on Cade McNamara's health and go from there, but uh, that'll do it for this Rapid Reaction podcast. We appreciate everybody for listening. I thank you to Jovan and Jordan for being on the pod and lending their expert analysis, and thank you to our sponsors for allowing us to bring you these free of charge. So thank you, everybody, for listening, and we will talk to you again next week after the homecoming game against Purdue.